I want to give you a message this morning because it ties into a lot of what's happening. It ties into the message last week. If you were here last week, we started a two-week series called Eternity Minded. And last week, we talked about one of the two eternal destinations, one of which is with Christ completely and one of which is without Christ completely. Last week, we talked about hell and how it is a real place and it's a reality and it's a torment and it is meant for sin. And anyone that chooses sin over Jesus will spend eternity being punished along with sin. But how many of you know there's a hope? There's a hope, and his name is Jesus. And today, I get to talk about the other side of that. I get to talk about eternity that is with Christ completely. As I said last week, that's the thought that really shaped the way I, I understand this now, is that hell is without him completely. So that means that First Corinthians says that I see now as in a mirror dimly lit. I see in part, but then I shall be known just as I am fully known by Christ. And so I will see things differently then. I'm, everything I see now is dull. And so my worst days, the, the, what, what you experience in addiction is only part of what eternity is like without Christ. What you experience on your worst days is only part of what you experience without Christ. The pain that we go through with broken bones or, or sicknesses or any of those things is just a fraction of what it will actually be because when we walk through those things, we still have the opportunity to turn to Jesus. But eternity, there will be no option to turn to Jesus if you're spending it in hell. But heaven is the opposite. Heaven is completely with him, which means the presence that we felt in here this morning is just but a, a, a bare minimum and dim experience compared to what it's going to be like. And so it's so encouraging to know this morning, I want you to leave like super encouraged because your name is written in the book of life. Caitlin and I went to Oregon two years ago for our anniversary, and um, I had never been to the Pacific Northwest. Miss Sue has been trying to get me to go forever, but I had never been to the Pacific Northwest, and Caitlin's childhood best friend was getting married, and so we flew up to Portland, and I made the, great, the single greatest mistake of my life. Um, I booked an Airbnb, and I wanted to stay on the beach, and I knew it would be about an hour outside of Portland to get to the beach, so I'm looking through Airbnbs, but I, I learned something that when you put in a zip code or a city that you want to go to, it will put in like a mile radius around that. And so I booked this place. It looked amazing. Well, we land, and I, we had the rehearsal dinner that night. We land, and I tell Caitlin, hey, let's go to the Airbnb, put our stuff up, and then we can come back. You know, we'll just make the drive. It is what it is. And when I put the address in to where my Airbnb was, it was two and a half hours away. So it was essentially like staying in Lafayette to come to a wedding in New Orleans. That's basically what I did. Congratulations, Chris. So we go to the rehearsal dinner, and then we drive two and a half hours, and now it's nighttime, so we get to our, our Airbnb or whatever, our condo, I don't know what it was, place we stayed, and it's on, it's on the beach, but it's pitch black, can't see nothing. You can hear the waves, and I'm a beach guy, right? Well, you're two hours back, so... I, I, we woke up both at like we thought was going to be 6 in the morning. It's actually 4 in the morning. So we're waking up, and we're trying to force ourselves to go back to sleep. So finally, I can't do anymore, and I'm, I'm up. It's like 5.30, their time. And I walk out front, and the back uh, wall of this Airbnb or whatever was windows. And when I looked out of this window and saw the beach, well, not really, it wasn't the beach. When I saw the ocean and the coast that we were sitting on, 
I was absolutely speechless. Like it was, it was more beautiful than I expected it to be. And so I love drinking coffee and looking at a really good view. So I go make a cup of coffee and I go sit outside. And while I'm drinking coffee, I'm completely in awe. I'm looking at the coast and the mountains and the rocks and the water. And it's like Jamaican water with mountains. It's perfect, right? And so I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm drinking coffee. And then all of a sudden, a whale, like, like right there, like just, I could have hit with a football, just pops up and whoosh, the little, whatever it shoots out of just goes shooting in the air. And I'm like, this is absolutely, I was blown away. It was unbelievable. I can't, I would get on a plane right now. Caitlin can't fly because she's, it's okay, I'll be back. Like, I would go right now. That's how much I enjoyed being where I was. But as I was thinking about this message, I realized that one day I'm going to have an experience that's far greater than that. Because I'm going to leave this life and I'm going to show up somewhere else. And because I know that my life is filled with Christ and I'm in him and he's in me, I'm going to wake up one day and I'm going to behold something that is far greater than the Oregon coast. I'm going to behold something that will blow me away, that will completely take my breath away far more than that experience that you may have had an experience like that. But I'm telling you, one day you're going to, if you have Jesus, your mind will be completely blown away one day. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the other side of eternity, the side that anyone who's in Christ gets to experience. I want to go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. NIV says many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I think it's really important that we understand that Jesus is preparing a place for you. This is the same person who said, let there be light. It's the same person who created everything that we see and everything that we are. Creation is pretty detailed. I'm not sure if you've noticed. Creation is immaculate. It's beautiful. It's mind-blowing. And that same person is creating and preparing a place for all those who have put their faith in him. That alone should fill us with such excitement and hope and joy that we should be able to weather any storm that comes. That Jesus not only died for me, but he died for me and is preparing a place for me. But I want to give you four things this morning about heaven. And the first one is that heaven is a reality. Heaven is a reality. There's such... There's such a theory and a, a, a deal right now in our culture that, that's explaining that both heaven and hell are mindsets or states of mind rather than being an actual place. But the moment that we separate from the authority of Scripture, things get very dangerous. I need you to hear me out on this. Eternity is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Why? Because the Bible says so. And I believe the Bible is the final authority for my life. And when I begin to separate the truth that's written in this book, when I begin to separate it from what this is and what it says, I begin to define my own reality. I begin to make my own belief system up and I'm in trouble. Because what then happens is, oh, well, if heaven's not real, then, well, then it, maybe it's like this or, or, or maybe it's like that. That's why I believe these past two sermons have been so important because I want us living 
rightly. I want us believing correctly about what God says about these things. So the first thing is that heaven is a reality. Because if heaven isn't real and hell isn't real, then sin isn't real and truth isn't real and then God isn't real. So it matters that we believe and think rightly about God. The second thing is heaven is restoration. Heaven is restoration. God created the heavens and the earth. And he filled it with, he made the garden, he filled it with vegetation and with life. And then he created Adam from the dust of the ground and he breathed life into Adam. When he breathed his life into Adam, that's what makes us eternal. Because God didn't breathe life into anything else but Adam. So he breathes life into Adam, and it says that he would come walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. God has always desired relationship. He's always desired to be in relationship with you, in relationship with me. And sin comes in and robs of that relationship. He robs from it. Sin steals the relationship factor, and God has to separate because God will not be in relationship with sin. But thank God that Jesus came and died upon the cross to restore us to a relationship with Jesus. And see, that's what this life is. It's not a religious exercise. It's a relationship with Jesus. That's what I do every day. I am not a pastor. I'm not a professional minister. I'm not a, a Christian who's religious in my, my exercises. No, I am in a relationship with Almighty God who loves to spend time with me more than I love to spend time with my children, more than I love to spend time with my wife. He wants to spend time with me. He's always desired relationship. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God. For the joy that was set before him is the fact that he knew that paying the price on the cross got him back in relationship with all who believe in him. That is what allowed him to make it through the cross. That's what allowed him to endure the suffering is the joy that was set before him because he already knew what eternity was going to be like. And the joy that was said before him of being back in relationship with his creation, back in relationship with you and I, is what allowed him to move through this. And I want you to understand that this reality, knowing this, that Jesus died for the joy of being with you that was set before him, that should cancel every ounce of lack of self-worth and insecurity and rejection and abandonment that God doesn't want you, God doesn't value you, God isn't interested in you, or you've done too much and you've gone too far that he can't save you because he died to be with you. And the fact that he died to be with you should let me know nobody else ever died to be with me. He wants to be in relationship with you regardless of your past. But the problem is, is we spend so much time questioning his love for us that we're never in a position strong enough to tell somebody else about his love for them. 
So we've got to know that he died to be in relationship with us so that when I run into somebody out there who doesn't know, I can tell them with full confidence that Jesus died on the cross because he cared for you. He loves you. And if we don't have an understanding of that in here, I'll never be able to tell it out there. We could give school supplies to every student in the parish, and it won't matter at all if those students don't come in contact with the love of God on the inside of me and on the inside of you. And when I understand what Jesus paid for me to be with him, because that was the joy, the relationship, when I understand that, it changes the way I see every single person I come in contact with so the first is heaven is a reality and the second is heaven is restoration the third is heaven is a reward heaven is a reward listen living for Jesus is not easy it's simple but it's not easy Y'all, y'all know I'm a, I'm a hymn guy, right? And so one of my favorite, it's a modern day hymn. One of my favorite ones is Through It All by Andre Crouch. And I thank God for my mountains and I thank him for my valleys and I thank him for every storm he's brought me through. For if I never had a problem, how would I know that God could solve it? How would I know what faith in his word could do? The things that we encounter, the difficulties, the trials, the storms are meant to make us more like Jesus. But that process, nobody said it was going to be easy. There's a song I've, I've heard, and I, one day I might get to sing it. I don't sing this good, but I'd like to try. It says that he never promised the cross would not get heavy or the hill would not be hard to climb. He never offered our victories without fighting, but said help would always come in time. So remember when you're standing in the valley of decision and your adversary says give in, just hold on because our Lord will show up and he'll bring you through the fire again. But one day, I'm a cross over from this life into the next. And every ounce of doubt that I've ever battled, every disease I've ever fought, every trial that I've had to pray my children through, every battle as a minister and a pastor that I've had to fight through, every difficulty that I've ever encountered, one day, all of those things will cease. But the joy of the Lord that I've lived with will only grow for eternity. See, we have to understand that it's a reward for those who diligently seek Him. That The promises that God has made to us may not come to pass in this life. But all things will be made complete when I get with him. All things. We've got to remember that this life is not all there is. And sometimes when you're going through it, you just got to realize I'm doing it for him. But there is a crown that awaits. I want to give you some of the some of the promises here. In Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to preach out of Revelation some more. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I'm going to come to that in a second. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down. Out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have all passed away. This verse of scripture says that heaven's not where I'm going to spend eternity. I don't know if you knew that. I don't spend eternity. If I died today, where I go is not where I'll spend eternity. It just says Revelation that, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old that passed away. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And I will get to rule and reign with Christ there. But there are other benefits that I'm going to give you this morning that you should be excited about. When the Bible is describing heaven, it says that all nations, tribes, and tongues will worship together. It's a really good thing that somebody who chooses to be racist over being a Christian won't make it to heaven because it sounds like they wouldn't enjoy it. Why? Because all nations, all tribes, all tongues are going to get to worship Jesus. That's why I'm going to keep prophesying it that we're going to embarrass racism at this church. Why? Because I don't want this church to look like a segregated spot of heaven. I want it to look like what the Bible says heaven's supposed to be like. All nations, all tribes, all tongues. It says that the construction materials of heaven are earth's finest gems. If you keep reading Revelation 21, it talks about the gates being of pearl. That's not just something we sing in chinky little songs. The gates are solid pearl. It talks about the stones, and I'm not going to get into it, but if you go read it, they're the, like what we would put on rings and jewelry and like in showcases, they use as doorknobs, sapphires and rubies. These are, these are the things that we consider to be the most valuable. Heaven uses to build things with. The streets are actually made of gold. I don't know about you, but... When I used to work at Cash America, gold was a high commodity item. And people took care of their gold. If you have gold, you take care of it. If you've invested and you got gold coins, they're probably locked up in a safe because they have value here. But you know what we don't really value is concrete. Unless you're Cliff Wilson. Right? Like nobody is like, man, let me show you this new piece of concrete I just bought. Except Cliff. Cliff would actually do that. But nobody says, man, this is amazing. Look, I'm going to put it in a, in a display case. Sadly, what people do is when they're driving home and they finish their Coke, they throw the Coke out the window on the concrete because the concrete is just dirt and it's just there for travel and it's just there because we need it to and we discard it. And if it's chipped up, it doesn't matter. If it's dirty, it doesn't matter because it's just whatever. And that is what the streets are made of here. But in heaven, the very same things are made of gold. It should allow us to realize just how much the standard is raised in heaven. That the thing that we would hold the most valuable is a construction material that seems to be boundless and endless in supply. The streets are made of gold. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. It says, for all the former things have passed away. 
And see, we just read in Hebrews that it says that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And, and I have this image in my mind that when a believer dies, because the Bible says that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so when I pass away and I die, or when you pass away and you die, when you get there, not only will Jesus be waiting for you, but all the believers who've gone on before you will be waiting. And if I, if I understand scripture right, it says that every time a new person gives their life to Jesus, heaven erupts in praise. Heaven erupts with shouts of joy because one more lost person has come home. But I guarantee you it's the same result, the same atmosphere. When somebody passes from this life into that one, there's absolute pandemonium when somebody walks into heaven. And I don't know if you've ever watched professional wrestling. Most of you probably have not. But if you ever watch wrestling and you watch the big giant pay-per-views and they got thousands of people in the room and that certain wrestlers music hits and the whole place stands up and erupts I'm telling you right now when I die and go to be with Jesus that's what I picture when I walk into heaven I don't know if I got a theme song it'd be kind of cool if I did but I'm gonna walk in there and there's gonna be shouts of joy why not because Chris has arrived but all of heaven gets to watch as look the cross worked again look the cross worked again Look, the cross worked again. And then not only in that, I get to run into my grandparents again. And then one day, if the Lord tarries, my parents are going to be with the Lord. And my friends are going to be with the Lord. And then one day, I get to meet all of them again at the same time. And it's going to be this unbelievable, indescribable moment of joy. But it's not a moment because there's no time. So it doesn't end. We, we can't comprehend it. That's why I keep bringing you to 1 Corinthians 13. For now, we see as in a mirror dimly lit, we only understand in part. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that half, not even half, has entered into the hearts and minds the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We don't even know half of it. But at the end of all of it, all those great things, the most incredible thing is that I'll get to be with Jesus. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. It's about him. So we see that heaven is a reality, heaven is restoration, heaven is a reward. But the last point I need you to know is that heaven is not a guarantee. Heaven is not. The truth is that not everyone goes to a better place. Not everybody does. And as I said last week, we don't like to talk about it. I'm going to tell you right now, it better be something we get comfortable talking about. Because the last thing I want to do is stand before God and say that I pastored a church that didn't talk about the reality of eternity. Because there are people right now in our lives, in our neighborhoods that need Jesus. They're in your family. They need Jesus. Why? Not because they're terrible people. Because they're sinners who need a savior. And they need Jesus. Because the bottom line is heaven is not a guarantee, Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. But I'm so thankful that in John 14, 6, it's not on the screen. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, 
and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus canceled every argument. Jesus paid every price. Jesus flung the door wide open and said, I'm the way. Come to me and eternity with me is yours. Peace is yours. Joy is yours. Fulfillment is yours. Coming to me. But if you don't, if you're rejecting me, you can have it your way. And you spend eternity without him. That's the reality. So for the last two weeks, we've talked about eternity. We've talked about the two options that people will spend eternity in, one or the other. If you're here this morning and and you've grown up Catholic, and, and I'm not trying to insult you, but I just want to let you know, purgatory is not a biblical doctrine. There is no middle place that we can suffer for a while and earn our way out of it. That, that, that's not biblically accurate. If you need me to show you and walk you through it, I'll be more than happy to do it. But, I, but it, it's, it's things like that, it's teachings like that that get people to think that, oh, it doesn't really matter. Let me tell you something, it absolutely matters. When I was a kid, I went to school with a buddy of mine named Randy Millett, Pastor Randy Millett, pastors a church up in Araby, and Living Witnesses, right? Is that what it is? What is it? Living proof. I knew it was living. And um, when I was younger, I'd sleep at his house. And it's a minimum of 10 times I have this vivid memory. We'd be sitting down eating dinner, eating breakfast, and he'd come to me, and he'd talk to me and say, Chris, let me talk to you. Let me tell you something, buddy. I said, what's that? He said, I want to tell you about the two most important decisions you'll ever make. I said, okay. The second most important decision you'll ever make is who you marry. Don't screw it up because your life will be miserable. And I'm like 10. I'm like, Okay. I don't know what that means, but sure. And he'd say, but the most important decision you'll ever make is to give your life to Jesus. He said, there is no decision you will ever make that will bear more weight on your life on, in this life and in the next one. And I used to always tell him, Pastor Randy, I'm, I'm a Christian. Like, I read my Bible. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to stop. Because I want you to, this is what he told me, I want you to remember every time you see me that the most important decision is that you choose Jesus. I'm now 36 years old, and if I see that man win Dixie, what comes to my mind first? The most important decision I'll ever make is giving my life to Jesus. Listen carefully. The most important decision you will ever make is giving your life to Jesus. Ever. But the thing is, the reason I've been preaching on this, and the sermons are going to keep in this vein, because I told you God's not waiting for us to be at a certain address. The reason I'm doing this is because I'm, I'm beginning to speak life to the evangelistic spirit of this church. I'm beginning to speak life to the discipleship spirit of this church. Why? Because there are too many people that we know that are going to hell, and we aren't doing enough about it. And notice I said we, myself included. We're just not doing enough about it. And so the reality of eternity is where it starts, that there are two destinations. And we need to live our lives to fill heaven, to fill our lives. The last thing I'll say is when you read through the Bible, it talks about we're going to have a crown that awaits. When the runners would finish a race and they would run the race back then, they would finish, they'd get the, you've seen it, they'd get the sash, they'd get the wreath, and they'd get the crown the runner who won and I'm not racing against anybody but myself and when I run I finish my race I cross the line and I'm with Jesus I'm going to be given a crown but it talks about in in different spots in scripture in 1 Corinthians 3 and other places it talks about the jewels that could be in the crown 
and the jewels that are in the crown represent the people that you have impacted for Jesus. It represents the lives that you have impacted, not how much money you made, not how much you gave to missions. None of the, the people that you have impacted are in this crown. And when you think about people like Billy Graham or Reinhard Bunke, I'm like, bro, that's a big crown. I got a big head, but that's a big crown. I don't know what that's going to look like. But when you read about it, it says that when we, when, we, when we get to heaven, we take that crown and we throw it at his feet. It's about Jesus. But I want us as a body to leave knowing that we need to live to fill heaven. We need to live so that people know that there's a Jesus who loves them. There's a man named Jesus who died for them. He gave everything for them. He suffered for them. He poured out his blood for them to take away pain, to take away suffering, to take away rejection, to take away fear. He died to do all of that and to fill them with purpose and to give them a hope and a future and an eternity with him. And we have to live our lives with this at the forefront. Not at the back. Yeah, we're going to preach about marriage. Yeah, we're going to preach about politics sometimes. Yeah, we're going to preach about all the different things in life that matters and how to, how to be wise and how to love and lead. and all. But at the end of the day, every single thing we do has to be connected to winning people to Jesus. So would you bow your heads with me this morning?